Section 22 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Abai in August 2016. Essay 20 Possible Movements and Forms in a System of Four Dimensions by Der Chemiker, J. Clyde Hochstetter, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Geometry tells us that a point has no dimension, that it possesses merely position in space. If, however, we move a point continuously in space, it will generate a line, figure 1, which is said to possess one dimension, length. Now let us move the line thus made through space. It generates a surface, figure 2, and we notice that our surface possesses the one dimension of the line and also a second dimension, breadth. From a line possessing one dimension, we have generated a surface with two dimensions. Now, if we move our surface through space, it will generate a solid, figure 3. This possesses the length and breadth of the surface and, in addition to these, a third dimension, thickness. From a point, then, we have generated a line with one dimension. From a line, we have generated a surface with two dimensions, and from a surface with two dimensions, we have generated a solid with three dimensions. We have generated each of these in turn from a form possessing one less dimension by motion through a new dimension. Reasoning from this, we conclude that if we could move our solid through a new dimension, a figure would be generated which possessed not only the length, breadth and thickness of the solid, but, in addition to these, still another dimension. Such a figure would possess four dimensions, and the existence of such a figure would require the existence of a fourth dimension. It is by reasoning of this kind that the idea of a fourth dimension has been developed. Now, let us take a line and see why the term one-dimensional is applied to it. On a line, the position of a point, and, therefore, the point itself, is determined when its distance from an arbitrarily chosen point on the line, the zero point, is known. We find this distance by measuring, in terms of the unit of length, from zero to the point P, figure 4, in just the same manner as we measure temperatures on a thermometer scale, the zero point of which has been arbitrarily fixed. One number, then, determines the position of our point. Now, a line may be considered as consisting of an infinite number of points. So, any point of this point aggregate is determined by one number, and, in general, a one-dimensional system requires one number for its determination. How is the point determined in a two-dimensional system of points, such as the plane? In determining the point on a line, we arbitrarily set a zero. Here we must also have a zero for our measurements. We make this zero the point at which two lines intersect each other at right angles. Such lines may be considered the axis of length and breadth. Now we measure the distance from P, figure 5, to each axis, 
and having these two distances our point can be determined. This is the same system that is used in locating positions on the surface of the earth when we refer distances to the parallels of latitude and meridians of longitude. A point in the two-dimensional plane requires, then, two numbers for its determination, and, in general, for a two-dimensional system, two numbers are necessary and sufficient for its determination. The idea of axes is also used in determining position in a solid. A reference to figure 6 will make this clear. Here the three distances from point P to each of three planes intersecting at right angles are necessary to determine the position of P. So we find necessary the relation of three distances to determine position in a three-dimensional system. And, to generalize, an n-dimensional system of points is such that n numbers are necessary and sufficient to determine an individual point amid all the points of the aggregate. Thus, in a fourth-dimensional system, four numbers are necessary, and in a fifth-dimensional system, five numbers, and so on. Let us now study the possibilities of motion in the different systems. In a one-dimensional system, there is but one possible direction of movement. In a two-dimensional system, there is the possibility of movement in two directions. On a line, then, motion is possible in but one direction. In a plane, motion is possible in two directions. In a two-dimensional system, all movements are either parallel to the two axes or are combinations of movement in these two directions. Similarly, in a three-dimensional system, there is possible motion in three directions, and all movements in a three-dimensional system are either parallel to the three axes of length, breadth, and thickness, or are combinations of movement in these three directions. If, then, we extend the argument, we see that in a fourth-dimensional system, movement would be possible in one or all of four directions. How many dimensions does the world in which we live possess? We have seen that a solid possesses three dimensions. Further, according to geometry, a solid is a limited portion of space. If we expand our three-dimensional solid indefinitely, it would consequently fill the space. We are accustomed to consider space, therefore, as three-dimensional, and our world is likewise a world of three dimensions. So reasoning as above, every point in space can be reached by motion in three directions. However, there are some who argue as follows. Motion in one direction will not take us to every point in a two-dimensional system. Likewise, motion in two directions will not take us to every point in a three-dimensional system. So, they assert that motion in three directions will not enable us to reach all points in space as it really is. We know that motion in three directions will take us to every point in a three-dimensional system. Then, if motion in three directions will not take us to all points in space, we must assume motion in a fourth dimension, and so a fourth-dimensional space. What, then, is this fourth dimension, 
and is there any evidence for its existence? Before we attempt to answer, let us see clearly the difficulties encountered in discussing the fourth dimension. To beings living in a one-dimensional world, the idea of breadth has no significance. To beings living in a two-dimensional world, the idea of thickness would have no significance. They can move in but two directions, and their world is consequently limited to the dimensions of length and breadth. Terms which are easily comprehended by us, who live in a world of three dimensions, would possess absolutely no significance to the two-dimensional beings. Similar to this, then, is the difficulty of describing the fourth dimension. If a fourth-dimensional being were to describe this dimension, his description would contain terms having no meaning to us. And when we attempt to describe this dimension, we find our vocabulary, developed from our three-dimensional experience, too limited. The best we can do is to discuss the possibilities of a world possessing four dimensions. We can determine some of these possibilities by analogies from our three-dimensional experiences. The first analogy depends on the properties of configuration. In a two-dimensional system, we can place three points at equal distances from one another. Taking a plane as our two-dimensional system and connecting the three equidistant points, we have an equilateral triangle, figure 7. Try as we will, however, we cannot place four points in a plane equidistant from one another. If we add another dimension to our system, the placing of four points equidistant from one another can be accomplished. Taking three of the points arranged in the form of an equilateral triangle as a base, we place the fourth point in the third dimension above the others. We can place this at the same distance from the points in the plane as these are from each other. Connecting our points by lines, we have a tetrahedron, the vertices of which are equidistant, figure 8. The placing of five points equidistant from one another is impossible as long as we have but three dimensions, but it would be possible if we could use a fourth dimension. Let us illustrate this space arrangement. In chemistry, the molecules of a compound are said to consist of the atoms of the elements contained in the compound. These atoms are supposed to be at certain distances from one another and to be held in their relative positions by certain forces. Formerly, all the atoms in a molecule were conceived to lie in one and the same plane. Now, however, the atoms are given a definite space arrangement. In order to account for certain facts, it has been necessary to assume in some molecules that four atoms are equidistant from one another. We picture them, therefore, as being situated at the vertices of a regular tetrahedron. If it were necessary to assume the equidistance of five atoms in the molecule, this would be evidence for the existence of a fourth dimension, as only in a fourth-dimensional system would this be possible. Another analogy depends on the properties of rotation. In a plane, rotation takes place about a point, as may be illustrated by the drawing of a circle by means of a compass, 
in which the end of one leg of the compass is the point about which rotation takes place. It is impossible to have rotation about a point in a one-dimensional system as a line. In a three-dimensional system, rotation may take place about a line, as, for instance, the rotation of the Earth about its axis. In a world possessing four dimensions, however, we see by analogy that rotation would also be possible about a plane. Let us see if this conclusion is justified. The process of rotation is closely connected with that of superposition, so the latter must be discussed to some extent. The congruence, or roughly speaking, the equality of two geometric forms, is determined by superimposing one upon the other, and then seeing if the two forms coincide in every part. In a one-dimensional system, we cannot superimpose one line upon the other. The best we can do is to place the lines so that they meet. The only way in which superposition of lines can be secured is by moving one of the lines through a second dimension and then placing it upon the other. Figure 9 it takes, then, a two-dimensional system to give us superposition of one dimension. Now, take the case of two equal triangles on a plane, figure 10. We can determine the congruence of one and two by displacement, that is, we move one of the triangles and then see if the second can be made to occupy exactly the space formerly occupied by the first. But how about triangles 2 and 3? We see that here we cannot use the process of displacement. We can measure the angles and sides and determine their equality, but we cannot superimpose one upon the other as long as they remain in the plane. It required two dimensions for the superposition of lines having but one dimension. Our triangles have two dimensions, and we at once conclude that superposition requires a third dimension. So we rotate one of them about an edge through a third dimension until it again reaches the plane, and they can now be superimposed. Rotation about a line and superposition of two-dimensional figures require thus the aid of a third dimension. In this passage through the third dimension, however, the angles of the triangle were reversed, that is, the anterior and posterior angles are interchanged, and, in fact, it is due to this that the superposition is possible. Let us extend this idea to the superposition of one solid upon another. For pyramids 1 and 2 we can use the process of displacement, figure 11. How can we superimpose 3 upon 2? Such pyramids are symmetrical. All lengths and angles of one have their exact duplicate in the other, yet the two cannot be made to coincide, that is, be fitted the one into the other, so that they shall both stand as one pyramid. They correspond exactly to our left and right hands. Our hands cannot be made to coincide in our three-dimensional space. The reflected image of the right hand, however, could be made to coincide with the left hand, they are alike one another, but in opposite sides of a plane. Just so are pyramids 2 and 3. We cannot, in our three-dimensional space, 
cause symmetrical pyramids to coincide. It requires rotation about a plane to give us congruence. This is impossible now, but if it were possible to hold one of the surfaces of either pyramid and rotate the pyramid through a fourth dimension back into our three-dimensional world, it could be accomplished. This is the fourth-dimensional analogue of the superposition of the two triangles above described. In this rotation the interior surfaces would be converted into exterior surfaces. Footnote. This is not true. See introduction page 28. HPM. End footnote. And it is due to this conversion that coincidence is now possible. This interchange of exterior and interior surfaces may be illustrated by turning a right glove inside out to form a left glove. Now, to take another illustration from chemistry, there are two varieties of tartaric acid which crystallize in forms bearing the relation of object to mirror image. Such crystals are illustrated in figure 12. Apparently, these two varieties change the one into the other without chemical resolution and reconstitution. If it could be shown that such does take place, then this would be proof of a fourth dimension, because only in a fourth dimensional space can a right-handed shape become a left-handed shape by simple movement. These, then, are the most obvious of the possibilities of a fourth dimension. Is there a real fourth-dimensional world? It is highly improbable. If there were such a world, would it be inhabited by beings who could act upon us three-dimensional beings, as the spiritualists assert? We reasoned the possibilities of a fourth-dimensional world by analogy. We must reason this question in the same way. If there is a fourth-dimensional world containing beings that can act upon and influence us, who are but three-dimensional, then, by analogy, we would expect the existence of a world of two-dimensional beings upon whom we could consciously act. We do not know of such a world. Also, we would expect a fifth-dimensional world with beings who could influence the beings of a fourth-dimensional world, and so on. Perhaps there is a two-dimensional world that we cannot influence. Then the other worlds should be independent also, and if the fourth-dimensional beings can still influence us, then the fourth-dimensional world would be an exception in the great plan of creation. The existence of such a world with beings that can influence us is, therefore, highly improbable. In conclusion, let us summarize what we have learned concerning the fourth dimension. In a system of four dimensions. 1. It would be possible to generate a body possessing four dimensions by moving a solid through the fourth dimension, just as a solid is generated in a three-dimensional system from a surface with two dimensions. 2. It would be possible to move in four directions, whereas now we can move in but three. 3. It would be possible to place five points equidistant from one another, whereas now four is the maximum number. 4. 
Rotation would be possible about a plane, whereas now it is possible only about points and lines. 5. Coincidence of symmetrical solids would be possible. 6. If there is such, it is highly improbable that it is inhabited by beings that can act upon us who are three-dimensional. Grateful acknowledgement is here given by the writer to Hermann Schubert and C. H. Hinton, whose papers have been freely used in the preparation of this essay. End of section 22